0: Hi fact fans, welcome to episode three of the FFS show, a podcast that takes you through the morass of misinformation that infects the internet. I'm your host, Ali Bryan, and with me is my co-host, Mags Taylor. Hi Mags. Hi Ali. So what have we got for our fellow fake news foes in this episode?
1: Well, we've got more vaccine related fact checks. This one's to do with AstraZeneca and blood clots.
0: We just can't get enough of that vaccine chat.
1: We can't. It's never ending. We also look at whether the popularity of the royal family has taken a hit following that interview between Meghan Markle, Prince Harry and Oprah Winfrey. And in this episode, we have a special guest interview. We have David Gilbert from Vice News talking about QAnon.
0: Mags, you've been looking at a claim relating to the uh, Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine, haven't you?
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, At the start of this month, countries across Europe started pausing the rollout of the vaccine because there were fears that it was causing blood clots. The Austrian medicines regulator, it it suspended the use of one batch of the vaccine after one person was diagnosed with blood clots and died. Um, And then various other countries across Europe, uh, Denmark, Iceland, Norway, uh, they all started pausing it as well. And then that led to an awful lot of claims on social media about the contraceptive pill having a higher potential blood clot rate than the vaccine.
0: So what was the claim that you checked?
1: Yeah, so the claim, it it was one that was shared on Twitter many, many times. It was liked well over 200,000 times and it was shared more than 40,000 times. And this was one... It, it was repeated by many other people. There were literally hundreds of claims claiming the same thing. But ba- basically, this one said, do we want to talk about the contraceptive pill having a higher potential blood clot rate than the AstraZeneca vaccine?
0: So there's been a lot of media coverage around the uh, concerns about the AstraZeneca vaccine. Where does it all come from?
1: Yeah, that's right. There have been various reports from various various different countries across Europe. I think the first one came from Austria, uh, where the 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 country's medicines regulator, it suspended the use of one batch after one person was diagnosed with blood clots and they actually died 10 days after receiving the vaccine. Another person there was hospitalised with a a pulmonary embolism. Uh, There was also a report of a death in Denmark. Uh, Again, that was someone who had not long before received the, the jab. And in Norway, there were several reports of people having blood clots and also an unexpected death from a brain hemorrhage there as well.
0: So there have been cases of blood clots in people that had had the vaccine, but is there actually a link between getting the vaccine and getting blood clots?
1: No, there's not. Um, immediately after these reports started coming out, AstraZeneca it, it released a statement saying that... It, it, its vaccine had been given to 17 million people across the UK and Europe. And among that number, there had been 15 reports of deep vein thrombosis and 22 of pulmonary embolisms. Now, th- those figures are, are very, very low and also significantly lower than the incident rate you would expect in the general population anyway. So b- people get blood clots. It, it's quite common in the general population. The, the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence in England says that two people in every 1000 will have a deep vein thrombosis each year and 78 people in every 10,000 will have pulmonary embolism. Now, if you extrapolate those figures, it would be many thousands you would expect to have it anyway, uh, among those who are having the vaccine. So that was AstraZeneca's position. You You, you may think, well, they would say that anyway. But immediately after these reports started to emerge, the European Medicines Agency, it began an investigation. um, Basically, it was looking to see if there was cause and effect or if it was these events were were, were just happening anyway, as you would expect them to happen. Uh, That investigation was carried out over several days and they reported back on the 18th of March. And they said they'd come to a clear scientific conclusion that the vaccine is safe and effective and that there's no link to increased risk in blood clots. So basically what they're saying, yes, there's been a temporal link with some people, a very small number of people. They have received the vaccine. They've gone on to have a clot, but there's been no causal link found at all.
0: So there's no causal link between the AstraZeneca vaccine and blood clots, but there is a causal link between the contraceptive pill and blood clotting.
1: Many studies have been done over the years that show a link between combined hormonal contraception and a higher risk of developing blood clots. So it's, it's actually not just the pill and it's not all kinds of contraceptive pills. It's it's the combined pill, not the mini pill um, and the contraceptive patch or the vaginal ring. And actually also HRT as well um, could have a higher risk of, of blood clots too. And that's because these all contain estrogen and um, Mm-hmm. And the, the charity Thrombosis UK, it, it says that estrogen effectively makes the blood more sticky. And that's why it can heighten the risk of clotting.
0: So what is the blood clotting rate for the contraceptive pill?
1: Well, it varies, actually. So the, the, the combined pill, as, as well as estrogen, has progesterone in it. Um, and it depends actually on how much progesterone is present. Various studies that have been published in the British Medical Journal have looked at this. So essentially, depending on which pill people are taking, the extra clotting cases per year varies from six per ten thousand uh, up to fourteen per ten thousand.
0: So, if the higher end of the blood clotting rate in the contraception pill is fourteen per ten thousand,
1: mm. that that's fourteen additional as well. So that's fourteen plus the six to seven that you would have seen in the population anyway.
0: Good point. So, if the four, fourteen additional uh, blood clots our ten thousands how does that compare to the astrazeneca vaccine
1: yeah in a sense it's slightly moot because the contraceptive pill has been found has been found to increase the risk of blood clots while the vaccine hasn't but really by definition that means that it does have the potential to cause more blood clots so we went with mostly true for this one you're listening to
0: the ffs show podcast a show about misinformation and fact-checking by The Ferret. If you'd like to help us do more podcasting and more fact-checking, you can by joining us at ferret.scot forward slash subscribe. On this episode, I interviewed David Gilbert. He's a staff writer for Vice News working around misinformation and specifically on the conspiracy theory QAnon. I began by asking David, just what is QAnon and what do its followers believe?
2: I suppose the easiest way to describe it is it's a conspiracy theory that has its basis in conspiracy theories decades, centuries, even old. But it's one that's unique because it's kind of been birthed almost entirely on the internet. Um, it started around 2017 on a website called 4chan and moved to another website called 8chan and then kind of bubbled away on fringe websites for a couple of years, and then kind of exploded onto the mainstream in 2020 through Facebook and Twitter and YouTube. Um, And essentially, the conspiracy boils down to the fact that um, believers believe that um, there is a global, satanic, cannibalistic, um, paedophile ring being run by... Democrats, U.S. Democratic lawmakers and Hollywood elites. And they're kind of conducting this child sex trafficking ring. Um, And then the other part of it is that uh, Donald Trump um, is secretly working to undermine the deep state who are helping let these pedophiles continue their work. Um, And he is their hero. He is the person who is trying to. Unmask this pedophile ring and bring about the storm, as QAnon followers call it, who, and they believe that we will see mass arrests and um, bring kind of a new uh, a new dawn um, when all these um, these people will be unmasked.
0: So obviously, we know its roots are from uh, the image boards at 4chan and 8chan, but how does it go from these image boards and the kind of traditional conspiracy? Fringe that we, that's been you know going around for as you say for years, how does it transfer from that into a sort of slightly more mainstream position?
2: yeah, it's, it's a really interesting topic this because and it's something that still people are still really investigating and looking closely at how exactly this happened, but it it basically went from i suppose it kind of became popular on H and it moved there from 4chan very quickly after it first Q post, QAnon, Q being the, the kind of anonymous leader of this who posted messages on these message boards. And effectively, it was just a small group of people who picked it up and saw that on these message boards, it was getting popularity. So they decided to move it from there to Reddit, where it gained quite a lot of popularity. And from there, it moved to YouTube, where people began recording podcasts or recording videos. And um, it, it kind of grew organically effectively between mm. 2017, when it first launched, and maybe the end of 2019. And then it kind of, at that point, it had grown so big that it, it started to morph, to change, and it began to go. It, it was able to kind of grow on Facebook and Twitter without the platforms taking any action against it because they didn't really see it as a problem because they thought it was so niche. But then in 2020, the QAnon followers hooked onto campaigns called Save the Children, um, which Mm. is a real charity, does real work to kind of help children who are trafficked for sex around the world. Um, But QAnon saw it as an opportunity to kind of, you know, weaponize a hashtag effectively and on Instagram and Facebook in particular, um, this hashtag was used to grow their numbers massively because it wasn't labelled as QAnon. It was just labelled as Save the Children. So people just thought, well, this is about saving children. You know, what, what's wrong with that? Yeah. But what they were buying into was this conspiracy that there was a secret, cannibalistic, paedophile ring being operated by Democrats. And so they were kind of drawn into QAnon by a, a light version of the conspiracy theory, a watered down version of it. And that's how it became so mainstream on um, these platforms and how it, ultimately it was tacitly endorsed by Donald Trump when he refused to denounce it.
0: There are quite a few different fringe conspiracy theories that have been going around, even pre-internet, obviously, like David Icke's reptilian conspiracy, stuff that Alex Jones has been doing for many years there's something slightly different and successful about QAnon that the reptilian conspiracy, etc., had stayed in the niche fringe, whereas QAnon seems to have crossed over to an extent into, as I say, a mainstream kind of audience.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating that it's, I suppose it's, it's, it's quite unique in terms of conspiracy theories, because it's, as it's there, there is no kind of foundational text. I suppose the Q drops, there's about 5,000 of those messages posted by Q on 8chan. Um, they are the foundational text and they're kind of quoted as scripture by the, the people who, you know, follow it closely. But QAnon hmm. has really, beyond what Q has said, th- There's there's very kind of popular beliefs such as that JFK Jr. isn't actually dead, he's alive and he was going to come back as Donald Trump's vice president. That was ruled out by Q. Yes, it's still believed by a huge amount of QAnon followers, mm-hmm. and so that's an example of how QAnon is kind of this ever-changing, morphing conspiracy theory. It's not—it's not, it's not right. just one kind of straight, direct narrative. It it constantly changes, and that's how it's become so popular. I think is because it's kind of consumed anti-vaxer conspiracy theorists, it's consumed anti-5G conspiracy theorists, it's, you know, COVID deniers. It's kind of come along at a perfect moment to to kind of become this all-consuming conspiracy, um, kind of a conspiracy singularity, as one of my colleagues kind of described it previously, is where it's it's yeah. the backbone and all these other kind of conspiracy groups have kind of latched onto it. And it's, it's scary how it's able to grow within those
0: communities um, and grow really quickly. That's a really, really interesting point. I think also, as you and many others have written about in the past, there's been very specific dates that have been talked about as uh, the time when the arrests will start or when Donald Trump will be put into power indefinitely. And those dates have passed, and yet the conspiracy continues. So where are we uh, post-Biden's election? Where are Where is QAnon? How are the people who support QAnon and, and believe in QAnon, how are they reacting to essentially a lot of the dates which they had placed a lot of faith in not coming to pass?
2: Um, like I suppose after January 20th, when Biden was inaugurated and many, many people and a lot of the, the major accounts there had kind of said, this isn't going to come to pass. This is going to be you know, this won't happen. Trump will enact military rule or whatever. There was there was kind of quite a lot of anger and outrage. But within a couple of days, it had all simmered back down again. And they were back to kind of looking to March the 4th. That's passed. And now mm-hmm. looking some of them, a few of them are looking to March 20th. But most of them are kind of saying, you know, the dates are secret. No one will ever know it. So, you know, that's kind of moved on. But this this is something that QAnon has been primed. Believers have been primed from from day one when Q first posted back in the end of October twenty seventeen. The first post was saying that Hillary Clinton's arrest was imminent, um, yeah. and that never happened. But yet QAnon continued to grow, and you know Hillary Clinton's arrest has been imminent for four years now, nearly. Um, yeah, so it's yeah, it's, it's something that they have been primed for. And while there is kind of, it is in a state of flux, the vast majority of QAnon followers are still kind of sticking to the plan, sticking to their beliefs that at some point Trump will return. Um, and they're not saying now that it's going to happen on a particular date because they've seen that that's kind of Uh, a fool's errand but they're going they are sticking to the belief that there is this kind of conspiracy taking place and that's and that trump will save them at some point
0: well let's talk a little bit about q themselves because obviously q refers to a level of military clearance does it
2: yeah it's a q clearance it's a it's a level of um top secret clearance that some people within the u.s government have
0: so it's based on a real level that does exist
2: yes and like it's the the QAnon came along after unfortunately there had previously been efforts to kind of create this in government insider um effectively what was kind of a game where people would try different narratives and they pretend to be fbi insiders you know there was fbi and on there was even highway patrolmen and on there was different people trying to kind of it was just you know seeing who could they get you know to get to believe that they had insider information and and QAnon was just one of these and it just stuck
0: yeah you mentioned before about Donald Trump's well obviously his role in, this, in the theory itself but also his role in perpetuating it what exactly has he said and done in order to kind of boost the theory
2: so he like I suppose mid twenty twenty as Trump was gearing up for the November election, um, or his re-election bid, he was asked several times in interviews to openly denounce it. He was first asked during a a Q and A in the the White House, um, you know what he knew about QAnon. He's he yeah. said he knew very little about it except that they were um nice people who liked me a lot and they right. just wanted to to save the children so is that a bad thing and then it was followed up during one of his town halls ahead of the election when he was openly asked to denounce qAnon and he wouldn't do it again so you know that obviously got massive reaction within the qAnon community people on message boards and forums people were really happy with that because they took it as proof that he was kind of on their side yeah and then in the run up to and just after the election he was Sharing um he was retweeting messages from um quite a number of QAnon related accounts or accounts that had boosted QAnon in the past, including Ron Watkins, Jim Watkins' son, who had suddenly after the election turned himself into um what he claimed was like the world one of the world's best network analysts. So he was coming out with a lot of um baseless claims about election fraud and the dominion voting system. So um uh, he yeah, Trump really did his utmost to perpetuate the QAnon myth, and given how central he is to the mythos of QAnon, that was you know massively damaging, um, and would have reinforced the belief of a lot of people that they were on the right track. They 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 knew you know that they were right about um the conspiracy.
0: I mean, we've known him obviously throughout his time as president before and since, um. That he will sort of opportunistically jump on board things and uh, amplify falsehoods if it means if it's going to help him. So do you think they've just sort of opportunistically using the kind of power of the QAnon conspiracy to sort of bolster support for himself and also to call into question things like the election? Uh,
2: well, without, without a doubt, he um, he sees them as a group of people who will. Never turned their back on him. Yeah. Um, He sees them as kind of a group he needs to keep on side because after the election, one by one, you know, the Republicans and his, even some of his biggest fans in Congress began to turn against him and said, okay, well, look, you lost the election, the election is over. But he knew, like, as he turned to, you know, while his legal counsel in the White House dismissed these claims of election fraud he rounded up this group of lawyers um like sydney powell and lynn wood who have been spreading QAnon conspiracy theories for for a while and he used them because they were willing to basically say whatever he wanted them to say about yeah um election fraud so by keeping the QAnon folks on side he is you know future-proofing himself that he knows that even if he never wins another election, he'll always have this kind of base that he can go to where he can either, you know, set up another grift by getting them to turn up to some rally or buy a t-shirt or buy a cap or, you know, he. It's, it's 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 kind of a way of future-proofing his income effectively because he knows these people will follow him wherever he goes and will do whatever he says.
1: So Ellie, you've been looking at the royal family for this episode, haven't you? What What was the prompt for that? Was it Meghan Markle's interview with Oprah Winfrey?
0: It was, yes. Yeah. So Meghan Markle and Prince Harry's interview with Oprah Winfrey, where they complained about a lack of support from the royal family uh, after Meghan Markle was suffering from mental health issues based on criticism that she was getting uh, from the tabloid press. And also she mentioned that um, an unnamed royal family member had Apparently questioned the skin color of her son before mm. he was born. Um, this has obviously created a lot of talk online about the royal family and its future and the current state of the monarchy. So we thought we'd look at basically how popular the monarchy is in the UK.
1: Yeah, so this has obviously been huge news, not just in the UK but all around the world, hasn't it? But how how popular are the monarchy within the UK? Do do people want to keep them? Yeah,
0: according to polling, it seems the majority of people in the UK or most people in the UK are in favor of the monarchy and its continuation. Mm. Um, there doesn't seem to have been a massive, looking at the polls uh, before that were taken before and after the interview, there doesn't seem to have been a massive shift in public opinion. Polls by YouGov, uh, Opinium, uh, Servation, JL Partners, Ipsos Mori, all of them are consistently showing that most people, around between sort of 50 and 55% of people who are polled are in favor of the monarchy's continuation and between sort of 25 to 35% of people support it being replaced by a republic.
1: I guess that's quite interesting because there was such a backlash after the interview. I and mean, was, was there any kind of split in age range between what people were saying?
0: Yeah, so uh, if you go if you went on social media you might have experienced quite a significant uh, groundswell of support for Yeah, Meghan, there was Mark Mark and huge Prince support, Harry. wasn't there? Yeah. Yeah, and and there was significant support in the country, but it does seem that the majority of people that would be were polled had more sympathy for the Queen and the, the senior royal families rather than Harry and Meghan. Mm. That sort of changes by age. Mm-hmm. So the youngest people who were, have been polled are much more likely to support Prince Harry and Meghan Markle over the royal family. And they're also more likely to support a Republican moving away from the royal family in general. Mm. Just taking a YouGov poll from March this year, you'll see that people over 65, 77% of them want the monarchy to continue with just 17% of them backing the abolition of the monarchy. But then if you go to 18 to 24 year olds in the same poll, only 37% of them supported the monarchy's continuation and 42% wanted an elective head of state. So we've got a really wide age It's a huge difference, isn't it? Yeah, it seems like as you go through the age uh, brackets in polling, each one you're getting an increase in support for the monarchy and a decrease in republicanism mm. that obviously has to be taken with a slight bit of caution because these are sub samples from polls so they're not necessarily the individual age brackets aren't huge sample sizes sure but it does seem to be consistent across a number of polls that younger people are much more in favor of a republic and republicanism and older people are much more in favor of the monarchy
1: what about in terms of prince harry and Meghan markle was there any kind of marked difference between attitudes towards them by age
0: yeah, so again, similarly, the YouGov poll showed that younger people are far more likely to support Meghan Markle and Prince Harry over the current uh, dispute. So 48% were more sympathetic to Prince Harry and Meghan Markle compared to 15% of young people more favorable to the royal family. Then again, go to over 60, those 65 and over, and it flips completely. So 55% of those 65 and over supported the royal family, and just 9% were more sympathetic to Harry and Meghan.
1: What what about across the United Kingdom? Was there any difference between Scotland and England or Scotland and the rest of the UK?
0: Well, every area of the UK broadly had more support for the monarchy over an elected head of state. Mm. So there's no area of the UK which consistently seemed to show a majority support for republicanism. But it seems like in Scotland, slightly fewer people are supportive of the monarchy and there's slightly higher backing for a republic. Again, sometimes Scotland's, in some of the polls, Scotland's quite similar to London in its okay, uh, yep. views, but it seemed, in general, if you looked across, Scotland was among the lowest in its support for the monarchy and among the highest in its support for republicanism.
1: That's it for episode three of the FFS show. Thanks for listening. Thanks to the listener that sent in a recent query asking what FFS stands for. We're happy to confirm it is for fact's sake, not the other thing. (laughs) Tune in next time to catch the rest of Ali's interview with David Gilbert. And if there's anything you'd like us to look into, drop us a line at factcheck at theferret.scot.
0: See you later, Mags.
1: See you, Ali.